Hey everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rookrout. And today we will be talking all about the new release on Netflix, Charlie Kaufman's adaptation of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. We will be going right into the movie, we will be discussing spoilers, and then we both read the book, so for the second half of the episode, we will be doing a comparison of the film and the book. So this came out last Friday, so all of you have had plenty of time to go see this movie. I think people are really going to be split. And I thought to myself, this would have been the most bizarre experience to have in a theater and like to be around Mm -hmm. people and to leave. That's like one where you look at everybody and just see their faces. Yeah, so we can get into audience reactions now and what we're thinking those will be like. So this was the first movie that I've watched this year where I thought if I would have seen this in a theater, I know someone would have walked out. Definitely. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad film or anything like that, but I think it's going to polarize audiences Mm -hmm. and it is definitely not for everyone. We will talk about why and what that means, but... I think that this movie is the first one of the year where it's going to create a discussion and it might not be the type that generates buzz in the sense for awards, but people are going to be talking about it, especially because it's on Netflix. It's right on your TV. And this has been in the awards conversation. And I think it's mostly because Charlie Kaufman's been in that conversation before. Mm -hmm. And I feel like some of his techniques do come through, but this is just way out there it's really bizarre so i'm thinking of ending things is based on the book by ian reed which i've said on our early best picture predictions and our most anticipated movies of the year on that episode i said that this was one of my most anticipated movies because i love this book I really enjoyed it. So I was really excited for this movie. And the general premise of the movie, full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought she knew about him and herself. It was directed and written by Charlie Kaufman. It stars Jesse Buckley, Jesse Plemons, Tony Collette, and David Thewlis. And it features cinematography by Lucas Zoll. Lots of interesting names here. Lucas Zoll especially because the last film he did was Cold War. And to go Which into this, very different. I love the mm-hmm. use of color in the beginning. And it didn't necessarily do that the entire film. But it was really interesting in how things were put together. And I think that spoke maybe more to the editing and direction than the cinematography, but we can get into all of that as well. So how do you think this movie will work for someone who hasn't read the book? Because that's what I kept thinking to myself. I thought about that a few times during the movie, and I'm really scared for people who haven't read the book. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So what were your initial reactions to the movie? I I was really into it. Like I thought this is my aesthetic. I loved the colors. I thought that the cinematography was beautiful. I thought that it was just completely unique and the topics they were talking about were so esoteric and I wanted to dive into that. And I think that because I loved the book so much, I was really paying very close attention to Mm -hmm. differences and where I thought it was going and how the story was unfolding in a similar or different way based on these actors, based on the director. And then it takes a very sharp turn that was weird even for me. And we'll save that for the ending. But I think that audiences, that was my thought then that took over was just, okay, this was really weird before and was going to polarize audiences. And it's really weird now. 
And uh-huh. it's it was weird to the point where I felt that people might be very confused by what even ended up happening at all. So in terms of Charlie Kaufman, he's directed Synecdoche, New York, and Anomalisa. And he's written a few more, including Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind, and Being John Malkovich. So what's your relationship with those different films? So... I've seen them all, actually. I'm more of a fan of the ones that he's written. So Adaptation and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, rather than the ones that he's directed, if that makes sense. I feel like the beginning of Adaptation was tough for me, too, and this sort of resembled that. But I like Eternal Sunshine, and being John Malkovich was a good weird for me. So in terms of his history, I'm not like one way or the other, but I had the same reaction where the beginning was good, it's very dialogue heavy, and at one point it just flips and becomes this very weird entity. So I think that this the best double feature for this one would be with Synecdoche, New York. I think that it has similar themes and a style to it. But I think that the big takeaway that I got from it is that Kaufman fans, this is right up your alley. If you're not a Kaufman fan or if this is maybe your introduction to him, just get ready. <laughs> Start elsewhere, maybe? (laughs) Maybe. I mean... So I guess what worked for you in the movie, the beginning is pretty straightforward, has this linear trajectory, and then it starts becoming fragmented as the narration essentially starts to break down, and eventually it just totally devolves. So what worked for you? What didn't? How did you think about those things? I absolutely love the script. I really thought it was just, it was very smart and very clever. It was a little dense. It's a very wordy movie, very dialogue heavy, but the way that Charlie Kaufman writes this script to have these two characters have very similar tendencies, repeat each other, speak in really similar ways, Mm -hmm. highlight the same topics, and the way that he does this through the script is very clever. That was definitely my favorite part. I would say that and Tony Collette, <laughs> which just goes without saying. Yeah. I mean, Jesse Buckley's kind of the star, but Tony is mm-hmm. like the standout. So the big fragment for me was during dinner, the camera changes from like this two shot or shot of like everybody at the table and it cuts to just her downing her glass of wine and then it switches perspective and she has a different outfit on and that's I think also when the characters age which is (laughs) so we should rewind a little bit so Basically, the only plot point in the story, it starts out with this woman who is... Who is initially named Lucy. You can continue. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) She is going with her boyfriend, Jake, to have dinner with his parents who live out on this farm. And the whole movie starts with her saying, I'm thinking of ending things. And she does say this in voiceover, of course, too. So she's not actually telling Jake anything. Presumably, this relationship is just doomed from the get-go. We know that she's not interested and that she is just kind of going along on this trip with him to meet his parents, Mm -hmm. but that she doesn't really have any interest in continuing the relationship. And I liked how this was done in the car because she is kind of this narration going on in her head, but then Jake is also acting like he's hearing it and responding to it and saying, did you say something? After Mm -hmm. she had said this and she kind of freaks out. So 
I think that's the initial dose of something weird is going on. Yeah. And it's the little hints that he drops throughout of the big twist that's coming and how, like I said, the script is really smart and how he uses duplicates of things really nicely with these characters and how they're talking. And I really like that. And I think that from that point on, I think if you're watching this, at least how I thought of it for the first time, it reminded me of scenes we've seen in multiple films before of this relationship where they're going to meet someone's parents off in this, you know, far off destination. You can think of Get Out when Daniel Kaluuya is going with Allison Williams to meet her parents. Mm-hmm. So I think if you start out that way, you think to yourself, okay, there's something weird going on here but what's going to happen when we get to the parents house and that's when it really takes the sharp turn (laughs) and you mentioned the aging i actually rewound it at this point so when they walk into the house and they eventually meet the parents they're standing on the on the staircase and it looks like the dad has white hair but then it cuts and they walk to the dining room table and he has like darker hair and not until later on until he's in the bedroom does he have white hair so I know that wasn't a mistake it really seems like a bad edit but again it's cluing you into like is that what I just saw And you do really have to pay attention to those little details. And like what I find really interesting about this is that if you are viewing it just as a story about a relationship that is in peril, when you know the ending, the commonalities are chilling and troubling. But if you're just watching this as a relationship story, commonalities are normal and what you're looking for. And you, I think, strive to have those connections, right? To find someone who likes the same things that you like and Mm -hmm. who maybe has a similar career or who can, you know, debate those types of things with you. So it seems normal when they're having these really involved conversations about these topics. The authors that they mention throughout, they do a giant bit on Cassavetes and a woman under the influence, (laughs) which I really love. (laughs) I knew you'd like that. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was like, Nick will know that this will be like right up my alley. (laughs) They mention several authors like Tolstoy and David Foster Wallace, and he has this giant Pauline Kael book in his room. I noticed that too. And Yeah, and he's very into poetry and painting, and they use very, very specific references. And I'm wondering for people who might not be interested in Cassavetes films or literature, like, does this work? Yeah. Does this script lose you? I think that got too deep and way too analytical to like a a literary criticism standpoint. Both the book and movie are both like that, where it's about psychoanalysis and this big existential question. So it makes sense, but it was also a little lofty and could easily lose people. I was really invested when they were talking about topics like that, but I just feel like that is a point where audiences, especially if you're thinking about your group that's going to see that a new Netflix movie is out and the trailer seems pretty cool and out there, they're going to put it on and then just think, what? What is this? Yeah, You lost me a little bit with your conversations. I feel like a good metaphor for this is when they're at the dinner table and she's showing the dad her paintings and she's saying they're sad and what she put into them and the mind state she was in and the dad is like I can't see a painting being sad I would need to be there to look around and they have this really odd conversation and I feel like Mm -hmm. that's kind of what certain audiences are gonna see in this definitely and 
I think, too, another thing with the parents, and this ties in with the ending, which we'll get to soon, but I think both of the parents, the ways in which they interact with and look at Lucy, who at this point I think is Louisa. Yeah, so she's Lucia at one point, and then Louisa. And then shortly for a point, and I don't think they call her this, but on the phone, she's Yvonne. Yvonne, yeah. But then in the, I think the last name we hear is Ames is what Jake calls her, which comes out of nowhere. The others at least (laughs) (laughs) This is also our very first time processing and talking about this, so much like the movie, enjoy the ride. (laughs) (laughs) At this point, the way that both of the parents are interacting with her at the table, it made me really sad because you could see maybe how they viewed Jake. The dad is much like Jake and seems to kind of be picking at him and like pushing her a little bit too. And the mom, Tony Collette, she'll do this crazy laugh that Louisa also does. And she stutters the same way that Louisa yeah. and Jake both do. And there are moments because Tony Collette is the brilliant actress that she is where this intense look of sadness just falls over her face and you just are like oh my gosh like Brit, you're actually like processing what's happening in front of you in this situation which is you're sad about your son's situation yeah she's very reactive to what's happening and but doesn't think things through Mm -hmm. she made me feel so uncomfortable and just her transformation in general was really bizarre so bizarre just like her going from this kooky mom at the table to an ancient old lady to a 50s housewife right yeah to being dead the moment that really got me that is kind of how i felt in the book again at one point where i didn't want to keep reading i really wanted to just stop the movie or fast forward when she was in the wheelchair upstairs and had the baby food smeared on her lip and it was i couldn't watch (laughs) that was troubling (laughs) like think of tony in hereditary but this is just as unsettling but in a completely different way they mention oscar wilde in one of their literary quotes which is (laughs) which is crazy and then we were going to do a pod today about the 1995 best picture nominees Mm-hmm. We're saving that for a later date, but in the Shawshank Redemption, there's a scene that revolves around the word obtuse and the prisoner calling the guard obtuse. And in this movie, they use that word and it was <laughs> in a similar manner and it was not well. <laughs> I, I was like, wow, we're really on it. Shawshank, perfect ending. This different kind of ending. <laughs> <laughs> Were there any performances specifically that you really liked besides Tony or? I think that Jesse Buckley as the lead does a really good job. I thought she was off, but you still felt for her. I also thought that Jesse Plemons was perfect for that part. And when I found out the casting for this movie, I did not think so. I was actually, he was not what I was picturing at all when I read the book. So I was very pleasantly surprised. I mean, he's always a great actor, but I thought that his portrayal of this character was actually really good. At least at first I had a little trouble too because of what I had envisioned from the book. And for some reason, I imagined the dad as Tim Roth. So David Mm -hmm. Thewlis seemed almost a little too old for me, but I think they all worked especially Mm -hmm. with the direction and going between different ages using prosthetics. But I agree that Jesse Buckley was a perfect choice. And there's a part too where she, it's on the drive there where she breaks the fourth wall. That's really creepy. Looking out the window, right? 
It's like mm-hmm. looking up. Yeah. Yeah. She's a really, I think, I think she was good casting there. Originally supposed to be Brie Larson. I could see that too. Yeah. I think in the book she's blonde anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think that would have worked. You mentioned that you liked the cinematography for most of it. Well, I liked it in the beginning. As it starts to snow, she has this like green coat and yellow gloves on and the red brick is behind her and the white snow is is contrasted well. And then they get in the car and things are a little darker. And then once they get to the house, things are more yellow and eerie. And then the school is really bright. So mm-hmm. so it's not that I didn't like it because I think the dancing at, at the end was well done too. But I just thought it was going to stand out more, I guess. Mm. Kind of like Cold War where it was just beautiful and every shot seemed like a painting. Yeah, I think though, I think they're just, I mean, they really are just so different. Cold War is this bleak romance shot in black and white right i loved cold war but i think that this one i really liked how it looked the whole time i like when it got darker the house was perfect so i did like the look of it that was probably what i liked the most next to the script so let's get to the ending so everything starts to just go awry at this dinner we see little clues and just weird nuggets throughout like a bunch of work shirts in the laundry we see paintings that we think are hers so we see a poetry book in his bedroom that had a poem that she had written so there are all sorts of weird little things where you know that something isn't right with these characters and as they're leaving they decide to stop well Jake decides that he wants to stop at a Tulsi town, which is a Dairy Queen. Make it a Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen's great. (laughs) The only Dairy Queen in New York is gone since I saw that. I loved the line when they get here. They say, oh, it's a blizzard out there and it's a burr in here. (laughs) I love that. They couldn't use the name Dairy Queen, but they could say blizzard. I thought that was kind of odd. And I like how when they get to the window, right? I mean, the activity of wanting to stop there in a blizzard is weird enough, right? right? But I like how when they get there, she goes up to order and these two girls that are working there are totally ignoring her. And the person who does interact has this rash. Which we end up seeing once Jake pays her. We see that he also has the same rash on his hand. I liked that shot too. So in the movie, I actually liked this Dairy Queen scene more than the scene in the book. I thought that it was very vibrant and seeing the girls that we'd already seen on stage in Oklahoma before, I thought it was really cool just how he laid that out. We will talk about Oklahoma in a minute. Throughout the movie, we've also been seeing this janitor character who is working at this high school and it cuts between scenes of Jake and Jesse Buckley, Louisa, Lucy, our narrator, (laughs) with these scenes of this janitor in the school. What did you think of how they did this and how they incorporated this portion of the story into the movie? I thought that this was definitely another clue Mm -hmm. because we see the school, you don't really know what's going on, you see the janitor, and then we get this short during, and then it ends and it says directed by Robert Zemeckis. (laughs) Which was so weird. Yeah, because also our 95 Oscars, (laughs) Robert Zemeckis and Forrest Gump. (laughs) And he's watching this movie in the school. So that's 
how that's related, but they never explicitly state who he is, but he's very unsettling. And if you want to get into him leaving the school to go to his pickup and leaving naked with a pig, we can get into that too. Okay, let's just, let's get into it. So they get to the school and our clue that these people might not be who we think they are is that they get to this school because he wants to throw away his Dairy Queen sorry, his Tulsi town. And he knows how many rooms are in the school. And he recites that to her and says, there are, you know, two gymnasiums, however many classrooms. He says all of that. And that's information that a janitor would know. But your average person or a former student at the high school wouldn't know all of that stuff. Then they go into the school and that's when just all hell breaks loose. And we find out that these characters, or at least how I'm interpreting it is that they're all figments of the janitor's imagination i guess what told you that was there a line specifically because maybe i just lost a lot of interest and didn't (laughs) notice it but knew it from the book and kind of inferred it or i honestly am so glad that you asked this because i think i inferred it from the book (laughs) (laughs) but i think if i'm being more specific and actually thinking about it all of the scenes that have been interspersed in between jake and louisa lucy talking and then we see the janitor and then we see early on there's a shot reverse shot that i think gives it away a little bit that might be helpful to viewers that shows i think that this is the janitor either imagining a flashback or thinking of these people and imagining this type of meeting whether it was something that was in his past or something that he's just imagined from you know working in the school maybe observing other couples it could be like from the romantic comedy that he's watching the Zemeckis film that we talked about there are a lot of ways I think to interpret it but I think in the school that was the moment where it all came together for me even though it might have been a little inferred So he comes up to her and he says, oh, you should wear my slippers because I just did the floor. And he hands her the blue slippers that Mm -hmm. Jake had given her in the house. And I think that's when she kind of understands and they have this like warm feeling between them. And then additionally, the ending has this dance sequence that I thought was really beautiful, actually. And it ends with a death really a suicide i thought it was an interesting way to show it because this was an artistic choice that was a twist that i liked and i thought was very beautiful especially with all the literary and artistic Mm -hmm. references that we had before i liked that it was he had talked about how he liked musicals which we'll get to also I thought it was going to end here, though, and it didn't. Right. The dancing is fine. In the whole scheme of things that this movie is really weird, the dancing was not the issue. It's this scene specifically where they have the dancers, who are the doubles for Jake and the girl, Mm-hmm. and the janitor so now in this scene mm-hmm. everybody is together it's not just the dancers and the janitor it's now yeah jesse plemons and jesse buckley are back in this scene with the dancers so it gets very convoluted and it's snowing inside the gym i liked all of that but it will definitely lose people so the moment where it truly lost me was when we see this janitor who we've been following intermittently throughout go out to his car and then he 
leaves his car. He's naked, walking back to the school. And in front of him is an animated pig. And the pig is talking. Yeah, it's the pig from earlier and it's dripping blood maggot. Yeah, which is just not what I wanted to see at all. Like, why did they put this animated pig that was obviously drawn in? And this was after he goes to the car. He's freaking out. He's naked at this point. And then the Tulsi Town commercial advertisement starts playing in his windshield. And then this pig appears and it starts walking away and he follows it, leaving his car going back into the school. Very weird. Then we get to the most bonkers moment besides the pig, which is when... Are we not there yet? Did yeah, I skip no, 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 again? Yeah. no, I'm when? sighing because of the scene. <laughs> because I knew once we got here, it was going to end this way. And I was like, what is happening? Why are we in Oklahoma? And everyone has horribly drawn theatrical old person lines on their face. That was like also kind of cool to me. So talk to me about the ending and what you thought. Okay, so in this last scene, Jake sings Lonely Room from Oklahoma. And he's much older he's fully in character like performing this for this audience of very heavily made up people that we've seen before throughout including the girls at Tulsi Town his parents and they're all in this very heavy makeup I think the message of the song I understand but Mm -hmm. I don't get the setting I don't get why it was done this way and why it ended this way Mm -hmm. and not with the dance, which was really more telling that this was one person. I thought that the dance was the perfect way to end it, which is why I was just so perplexed by this musical choice because, yeah, I think we can interpret the song in the way that we can interpret every quote or bit of text that they put in front of us, every, you know, mise on a beam, (laughs) Oscar Wilde, Emerson, woman under the influence, all of that, you can do that. But then we get here and it just felt misplaced. Well, okay. So I'm reading the Wikipedia for Lonely Room and it says he states how tired he is of the dirtiness of his smokehouse and how he longs for a girl of his own. Was this his realization for creating her in the first place in creating this story? But why wasn't this before the suicide? Because it would have made sense if it was a little earlier and it was the way to tell us. Because clearly this character, both Jake and the janitor, have these romantic fantasies, right? Of finding this woman or this girlfriend. And that's what this, essentially what this plot is all about, is that fantasy, that idea. Besides, of course, all the other layers to it. That's very clear. I just don't get its placement after the suicide. So just pivoting a little bit now that we've, I think, talked about the ending of the movie as much as we can. What do you think the awards potential is here? Is there awards potential? Is it critics groups? Is it big stuff like the Oscars or Golden Globes? What do you think? This is interesting because I think this is the first movie that's had a lot of potential and that has finally come out and the embargo is still up currently so we don't know what other people think or reactions and... But, At the time of recording. Right. Yeah. But I think I think Tony might have some potential here more in like a spirit independent realm than Oscars maybe. And I think the writing might too, but I it's tough. I mean, it really depends on what else comes out, but it's not something I would necessarily nominate for adapted screenplay. Do you agree? I know you like the script. What would you nominate it for? 
I think that the script is one of the most clever ones I've seen this year. Mm -hmm. So I think, I mean, I would nominate it for adapted screenplay. I think that that is where its best chances lie. But I think the reason why I say screenplay too is because screenplay is the category typically where we do see the indies and Charlie Kaufman has had success in this category before and what I'm wondering though is that Netflix has this interesting strategy of they're waiting out the festival buzz right Mank isn't premiering at festivals none of their movies are premiering at festivals it seems so with their awards push that we saw last year where they didn't really target or put their dollars on a particular movie they really spread it across a couple of big ones I'm wondering how they'll push this one and what they'll push it towards because I think it is a little too weird to get more than one maybe two I can maybe see cinematography but we do potentially have a couple of big ones coming that I think will fill up those slots pretty quickly even though I think the look of this one is really beautiful okay so the book I think there are a lot of similarities but also some key differences I agree did you like the adaptation I like the adaptation, but I like the book more. What about you? I feel the same way. I loved that the book was more of a horror thriller than this psychological, I don't know, I don't even know what genre to call the movie. The book is scary. I think that a big thing that happens in the book that they leave out of the movie is that in the book, there are these scenes where the narrator is being watched someone's watching her through a window the caller that doesn't happen right. in the movie right right they leave that out they leave the the horror stuff out and i remember in the book too being really scared when they pulled up to the house and being really scared when she might was going to go down to the basement those kinds of things that and the ending was so horrifying too and i think that the movie is more strange and disturbing so in the movie we get clues of the janitor at the school we don't mm-hmm. get that in the book, but we do get these clues. After each chapter, there are like quotes on one page. They're really short mm-hmm. about this murder that's happened. And we don't really get many details until maybe two thirds of the way through. And then we start to really understand what's going on and what happened, that we found this man who punctured himself with a hanger in the closet during a long weekend, I think at the school mm-hmm. and then they found his body there which is horrifying but I liked how the book did that better because I felt like we didn't have as many clues as to Jake being the sole character of this whole story until mm-hmm. the very end and that was a better twist for me or at least that's what I enjoy well really the janitor is the sole character of the the story <laughs> right like in right. the movie because it's harder to put that together because the movie chooses to show the janitor as he's imagining Jake and the woman. It chooses to show that. It doesn't jump back and forth through time like the book does with the eventual death. So in the book, you know that something bad is coming. And in the movie, you have to work a little harder, I think, to get those clues. But it's it's a less enjoyable process, I think, in the movie to try to find those clues than it is in the book. Wait, the janitor is Jake, though, right? Yeah, and I think, too, part of the reason why that process, like I said, isn't as enjoyable is because the movie is so sad. It was one of the saddest things I've seen in a while. And I think that's because we get to know the janitor throughout. Like, we don't really get to know him, but... 
we just observe his life. So then when it eventually comes to the, to an end and you have this realization of what he's been suffering through, it's really sad. And in the book, that's sad too. But in the book, because it uses more horror elements and we know that the suicide is coming, it isn't as tragic. It feels more horrifying than in the movie. So the school scene in the book was probably tied for the scariest thing I've ever read with The Shining. Like I didn't want to continue reading because I was so scared and I didn't know what was happening. (laughs) And that's another big difference in the movie because she follows Jake into the school and I pictured it being dark, not like super well lit. She looks down this hallway and sees a guy with a mop and then he slithers away and then she starts hiding and they start playing this song over the speakers really loud and she's trying to hide and eventually that's how she becomes trapped in this closet and then I think it also just did a better job in morphing them into one and her realization that she was Jake. Yeah, so in the book two, near the end, so the page starts and it's dancing the night away. Tickets are $10. What are you waiting for? And then it's just, what are you waiting for over and over and over again for four pages? It's similar to The Shining, like you mentioned, the Mm -hmm. all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. But that's when you kind of have the realization in the book that they're the same person and in the movie that's why I like the dance scene I think that's why I with that extra line right before it I think that's why it works and why the other scenes at the end don't work as well for me because that is I think the closest interpretation creatively of what's happening at the end I'm very excited though to talk to people who watch this that haven't read the book if they catch the ending if they how they feel about the two characters, when they realize something's going on, because I just couldn't get the ending out of my head. And I think that's why the book is really successful, but why I couldn't go into the movie with a clearer mind for it. Yeah, so in the book, we're also explicitly told that the parents have died a long time ago. And we're never really told that in the movie, apart from like the mom being in the hospital bed in the family room. I'm also interested to see... If people think everyone is real, what they get out of it. Wait, so I just picked up my book on the back. An ingeniously twisted nightmare road trip through the fragile psyches of two young lovers. My kind of fun. Charlie Kaufman, Academy Award winning writer. (laughs) (laughs) And that's when he signed up once he read it. He said, yes, we make this weird movie. In the book, trying to feel out these characters, I knew that this woman was odd, but I felt that our narrator was more sympathetic because I felt like I'd been in situations like that a lot of her conversations with this guy like felt like bad dates to me you do not need to explain this to me please I'm so good and that's what (laughs) that I think in the book I was able to understand her point of view a little bit more but in the movie I found her harder to connect with did you feel that way I'm not sure if we're supposed to identify with her in the movie or if we're supposed to be sympathetic towards them I guess I haven't processed that yet but I'm not sure I I saw myself in any of the characters which maybe distanced it a bit more too for me I think maybe I identified with more things in the book than in the movie is that what you said 
Yeah. I think in the book I was like, I was scared for her because I thought, oh, you're at this guy's house. Like you should have just ended this relationship before you got to this scary house and had to go down to this basement and had to, you know, go in this scary barn. That's what I kept thinking when I was reading the book. And in the movie, I didn't feel that way. Yeah. For someone really early on, and they do this in both the book and the movie, of her being like, well, I'm not going to go through with this, but I'll meet his parents. I'll see how they are. Like, in what world is that an okay thing to do? Yeah. To be ready to break up with someone and then still want to go to their childhood home on a farm in the middle of nowhere during a snowstorm. Like, none yeah. of that seems okay to me. <laughs> no, I know. It's it's not. It's not okay. <laughs> none of it is okay. But I did like how... I guess once you hear the title, I'm thinking of ending things, it seems more like a suicidal thought, but then you're introduced to this idea that the movie's about her wanting to break up with him, but then in the end, it's really about him thinking of ending his life, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's funny how it kind of plays with your expectations of what's to come, and that it kind of was what you always imagined it being. Mm-hmm. No, I like that too. And in the movie, there is a part when Jake is talking about David Foster Wallace and mm-hmm. they're talking about his suicide and he says, right. it's obnoxious. Suicide becomes the story. So I thought that was an interesting way that they tied in your expectations of the title and trying to subvert them a little bit there. I thought that was mm-hmm. really clever. Yeah. Some people have compared, I'm thinking of anything's the book, to two movies that we've talked about under the skin and gone girl and we need to talk about kevin i kind of see it with gone girl i haven't read under the skin but with gone girl i felt like that was i think it had a slightly different pace but it was as enthralling the movies are all completely different the other really big difference to me apart from the caller having a much bigger influence in the book or presence rather is the memory of Miss Veal. So there's this story that happens with the girl and this friend of her mom's who comes over named Miss Veal. And in the end, she thinks Miss Veal has poisoned her mom. But Miss Veal asks her, are you good or are you bad? And I think that was a really horrifying story, theme, and message to put into the book that they didn't even mention in the movie. So I did want to see that too. Yeah, that I think moments like that that are just, they're so scary and you can't really pinpoint exactly why or what you're feeling, but that just make you that you know that something is wrong. The scenes that they chose to put in the movie that would have shown that, I thought were, they weren't as scary as I wanted them to be. Seeing the dog start shaking and not stop and then seeing the urn for the dog upstairs, like that's, oh yeah, that's cool and a good touch, but it's not as creepy as, you know, what I wanted, Mm -hmm. I think, and what I got in the book. I also really love how in the book it ends with, They find the letter. Yeah, they find a note near his body in the closet. And it mentions this, I'm assuming the notebooks that they had found but hadn't read through yet. Mm -hmm. But it mentions this story that apparently we have just read. Yeah. And it says, like, the thing at the end, it says, yes, you should read it, but maybe start at the end, then circle back. First, though, I think you better sit down. Mm Mm-hmm. I love that because then you want to just read it again. Exactly. I wanted to read it 
backwards. Like I wanted to start at the end and work my way forward. But I think that was why I was disappointed in the ending of the movie because the ending of the book is just so good. And the ending of the movie is so strange. I'm really interested to see Kaufman's commentary, what other critics have to say, and just information about the filming and why things were done certain ways. I can't wait to read reviews and see what people think. Like we said at the beginning, I think it's going to be very polarizing if I had to bet on it today at this moment of recording. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what our wager would be, but what would you guess the Rotten Tomatoes audience and critic score to be? Okay. Critic score, I'm going to say because the craft is really high, I'm going to say like an 86. Oh, I'm at like a 67. Okay. Maybe lower. Wow. Audience score, I'm going 27. (laughs) (laughs) I think it is going to be that low. This is like an over-under kind of thing. I don't... I know. What's our... What's the line? I'm going to say slightly lower and say like 23. Okay. So let's set the line for... Audience score, let's do 30. Over-under. And then critic score, let's do 65. Over-under. So audience, I'm going under and critics under. Okay. I'm going audience under critics over. Okay. All right. Let's see. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think critics might be over, but just slightly. Okay. But I'll leave it at under for now. All right. I'm almost more excited to see what critics say about this than to watch Tenet. (laughs) I do not feel the same way. (laughs) (laughs) And on our next episode, we'll be talking about another 2020 release. We're going to be reviewing the new live action Mulan coming to Disney Plus, And we'll be talking about some other fun recommendations that we have for you on the streaming service and looking back at the animated Mulan as well. This will finally be coming out on Disney+. Plus. I'm curious if it'll get a re-release in theaters, since theaters are open now, because the sense I got from articles about its release is that Disney was sad to have to do this on VOD. Yeah, so, that could be interesting. Yeah, we'll see the discourse with how it goes. Well, thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Watch I'm Thinking of Ending Things on Netflix, and let us know all of your thoughts. <laughs> be safe and wear your masks. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week.